invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. And our verses for this afternoon are going to be first four verses. As I mentioned already, the title of the sermon today is Shepherd the Flock. Now we are going through an exciting time in this process of planting a church here in Folsom. Because we want to plant a church that is Bible-saturated, that is Spirit-empowered, and that is Christ-exalting. That is our goal. Now many of you have gone through the membership class that we just had in the last couple of weeks. And uh, both in the class and from the pulpit, we've talked a lot about membership. We've talked a lot about the responsibilities that each one of us have as members of a local body towards one another. Now this afternoon, I want us to focus on the responsibility of the leaders of the church, specifically elders. New Testament gives instruction both to people who are regular members in the church and to those who lead the church. Because ultimately, it all comes down to the fact that we are all sheep, right? Whether you're in the position of an elder or a deacon or just a guy or gal in the church, we're all sheep and we ultimately have one shepherd who is leading us, right? But the Lord has appointed some men who would walk in front and who would lead as under-shepherds. Now, just as in marriage, though wives and husbands, they have equal dignity, they have equal worth, but yet they have distinct roles. And each one ought to submit to the role that God has assigned to them. And in the same way, when it comes to the church, church is not this democratic you know, party where we all get together and everybody has an equal voice and everybody has equal say. No, God has determined that there would be some people who would lead and others would follow. Now, as you read your Bible, beginning from Genesis and all the way through the book of Revelation, you notice the fact that it is written by ordinary people and is written to ordinary people. This is not just a legal brief that is just so hard to understand. And unless you have a post-grad degree that you're like, I have no idea what this means. When the authors of Scripture wrote letters of the New Testament, they wrote them to churches. They weren't written to sophisticated leaders or someone who graduated with some great degree who could read this and then explain to everyone else. No, the New Testament authors assume that lay people, every single one of us is able to read and understand That's why all of the instructions that we have in the New Testament, unless you're talking about pastoral epistles, which were written to individuals, all the other letters, they were written to churches as a whole. The letter would come, and they would gather together, perhaps on Sunday morning, whether in the house or whatever else, and they would read the letter, and the assumption was that they would understand. Not only that, we know that the New Testament letters, they were passed on from one church to another, which assumes that it's not just a letter that was written to you, but the letters that were written to different churches, they're good for you, and you could read them, you can understand them. For example, in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says this, This letter, when it's read among you, have it also read in the churches of Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. So they would get the letter, and they would pass them around the churches, and everyone in the church would benefit, and everyone in the church would learn from that. Now, when we come to book of 1 Peter, this book is written to suffering church. In fact, it's not written to a church, it's written to churches. It is written to people who are scattered, according to chapter 1, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are multiple churches in that region, and these people are suffering persecution. Many of them have lost things because they believe in Christ. And so Peter is writing this letter in order to encourage the church. 
Once he gets to chapter 5, in first four verses, he focuses specifically on the leaders of those churches. You see, leaders ought to know what their job description is. Have you ever had a job where you did not know where your job description is? If you don't know what your job description is, you never know whether you have succeeded or you failed. You have to have some kind of standard that you say, yeah, I did that, I did that, and here I failed. So that's why when you come to the New Testament, New Testament not only tells us that you ought to have elders, you ought to have pastors, but the New Testament describes who they ought to be and what they ought to do. And notice this is not just written to elders and pastors so that like, yeah, I know what God told me to do and you don't. No, this is written to the church. It is written so that everyone in the church knows what they are to expect from their pastors, what they are to expect from their leaders. They know what kind of men qualify for that position, what kind of men do not qualify. So this is written to regular folks. And in chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, we find job description for pastors. As we look at this job description, I want us to address this under three headings. First, we're going to talk about the mandate to shepherd. The mandate to shepherd. This is what Peter tells him. Second, we're going to talk about the mode of shepherding. How you're supposed to do it. And finally, we're going to address the motive for shepherding. Why you are to do it. So first of all, what are you supposed to do? Then how are you supposed to do it? And finally, why are you supposed to do it? Join me as I read, beginning in verse 1. Peter writes this, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder, and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and the partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's begin first with the mandate to shepherd. Now, if you look at the ver- at verse 1, verse 1 begins with therefore. Now, every time you see therefore, you've got to ask, why is therefore, therefore, right? And therefore always points you back to something that preceded. Now, if you know the book of 1 Peter, in chapter 4, Peter addressed the sufferings that believers in those regions were, uh, were undergoing because of their faith in Christ. People were mocking them, people were maligning them, people, and, and these are first century believers. These are pagans who were converted out of paganism, and now all of a sudden, they don't hang out with their old friends anymore. All of a sudden, they don't do the things that they've done before, and their friends look at them like, what, you think you're better than me? And so they malign, they mock them. And so Peter is saying that because you are in Christ, you have glory that awaits you. You have glory, even though right now, yes, you might suffer. In fact, not you might suffer, you will suffer. If you are in Christ, sufferings, he says, are par for the course. And you shouldn't be surprised that your life as a Christian is difficult. Now, while the church is undergoing persecution and sufferings to one extent, the question that Peter addresses in this section here is how do you lead people through such sufferings? How do you lead people through such turbulent times? And here he has a few things to say to church leaders. 
Up until this point, he's been talking in general, and he addressed practically everybody. He says, in general, if you're believers, this is what you ought to do. He talked to husbands, he talked to wives, talked to children, talked to everyone. And now he kind of zooms out, he's going to talk to the leaders who are leading them. And he says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder, and the witness of the suffering of Christ, and the partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. First he says, I exhort. Now this is very pastoral. Peter, as a pastor, he comes along other pastors in these churches, and he says, I exhort. To exhort someone means that you come alongside of them, and you encourage that person to go in a particular direction. And Peter is saying here, listen elders, listen pastors, listen leaders, I know it's hard, and I want to encourage you. Now notice, first of all, there is assumption here. There is assumption here that these churches, they had elders. There is structure in the church. There is authority in the church. Church is not just a bunch of people who gather together and everybody has the same say and everybody has the same right and everybody's kind of, you know, doing the same thing. No. He assumes that there are elders in the churches. There's structure of authority. And we see that the structure, it's not, it's not a result of sin because we see even in Trinity, right? The Son submits to the Father. Is the Son inferior to the Father? No. But He submits to the Father. Church submits to Christ. In the family, wives submit to their husbands. Previously, He talked about submission to government because that is your role as a citizen. And so in all of the spheres, you have authority and you have submission. And so when He comes to the church here, He outlines and He says, listen, in the church, there are elders and their job is to lead the church. God appoints elders in all the churches. Now, a few things we have to say, because we want to kind of zoom out a little bit broader than just Peter. I want to say that as you read the New Testament, there are a number of different titles that are used interchangeably for elders. In our case here, Peter says specifically, I exhort the elders among you. Now, elder, it indicates spiritual maturity that is necessary for the office. We're not just talking about your age. We're not talking about your gray hair. But he's saying elders, this is what they're supposed to do. And that's why we have this title here. I exhort the elders among you. Another title that you might find elsewhere in the New Testament is something that you know like bishop or overseer. In fact, if you're reading regular standard English Bible, unless it's Catholic, you will not find the word bishop in the Bible, but you will find the word overseer there. It's a compound word. You know this word, episkopos. You probably heard about it, right? Two word epi, which means upon, and scopus means to see, like telescope, for example. And so what is the job or responsibility of an elder? He says an elder is an overseer. In other words, he's watching over the flock. Remember in Acts chapter 20 where... Paul is addressing elders from the church of Ephesus. He says in verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you, and that word right there, overseers. That is your job, overseer. Now, in our text here, since you're in 1 Peter, we have a verb form of this is used in verse 2, because he says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. So overseers exercise oversight. So they're supposed to watch over the flock. So we have bishops, we have overseers, we have elders. Another term that you know is a pastor. Pastor or a shepherd. We know that in a or Ephesians chapter 4, he says he has appointed some as pastors in the church. That's the title. Now when it comes to the word pastor, which is the same word for a shepherd, it emphasizes the duties of the church leader. 
Now, this word pastor, it complements overseer because you might say it this way. An overseer focuses on the macro and pastor focuses on the micro. So if you are overseeing, you're looking over the flock and you're guarding from whatever it is that is attacking the flock. And you're, walking, you're watching where the flock is going. If you are a pastor, you're down right there with the sheep on the ground, on the field, and you're working with them. Remember when Jesus restored Peter after he has denied him three times. In John 21, 16, he says, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. That is what Peter got this. This is, these are the words that Jesus told Peter. And now Peter takes these words and he applies them. And he says, if you are an elder in the church, if you are a pastor in the church, that is your responsibility. I quoted earlier Acts chapter 20, 28. And then the same, same verse, he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to do what? To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So all of these terms, pastor, elder, shepherd, bishop, overseer, they're all interchangeable, and they all refer to the same person who's in the leadership of the church. Now this is the model. The New Testament model is that there are elders in the church who provide leadership and guide the flock. You will not find Catholic or Episcopal or Presbyterian model of church leadership in the Bible. Everywhere you see, and we'll look at a couple more places right now, that wherever the church was born, wherever the church was planted, elders were appointed who were to provide oversight and who were to shepherd the flock. Now look again at verse 1. It is significant here that when he says, I exhort the elders. Notice it's plural. It's plural. It's plural for a couple of different reasons. One reason because he's addressing more than one church. Because there are more than one church that is addressed in this letter. But it's also plural because there are more, there's more than one elder in each of the churches. New Testament always speaks of plurality of elders in the church. It is not one superstar who's going to lead the church. It is not one superstar who stands in the front and everybody submits to him and everybody does what he says. No. To give you an example of this, if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 21. This is after Paul has established churches. And then he's going back and listen to what it says, Acts 14, 21. It says, After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And then it says, when they had appointed elders, plural, for them, in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they have believed. Notice they go around those churches that were planted, and in every single church, they, plant, they appointed elders, plurality of elders, multiple men in the church. That's why... In this church, we want to focus on plurality. So it's not just one guy, two guys, but hopefully as the Lord raises, that's why we want to train men. That's why we want to invest into men. So that as the Lord raises godly men who are qualified to be in this position, the more people we have, the better we can serve the church. And that's the goal. That's the goal because it is a New Testament goal. New Testament commands us to have plurality. Now notice, before Peter exhorts them, notice how he identifies with the elders. He says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow 
elder. Remember who Peter is? Peter is an apostle. Peter is the one who walked with Jesus. Peter is the lead guy among the apostles. And here we see his humility that even as an apostle, as you get to these latter years, as these churches are being planted all over the place, as the apostles are passing off the scene, Peter says, hey, let me identify with you. And he says, I address you as a fellow elder. Fellow elder. And notice, not just fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now this is important for the context of the first Peter. Because in first Peter there is a lot of sufferings. A lot of people who are suffering. And Peter identifies with them. He says, listen, I am an elder and I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. Jesus, I watched Jesus. I lived with Jesus for three and a half years. I watched him suffer through the, throughout his ministry. And ultimately I watched him suffer when he died. I am a witness of the suffering of Christ. Now this is important to mention to elders because sufferings are par for the course. No one escapes sufferings. No one escapes persecution. You know, when persecution starts, it starts with who? It starts with leaders, right? Devil is going to attack the leaders because if you can destroy the leaders, you can destroy the flock. Right? Remember Jesus says, get rid of the shepherd and the flock will scatter. That's what happens here. So devil will attack and he will try to destroy the elders. Sufferings are par for the course. And Peter reminds the elders and he says, listen, I am an elder. I witness the sufferings of Christ. But notice, not only is there suffering, but there is a promise of future glory. It's not that, listen, you're just going to suffer, suffer, suffer. No, he says, also a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Sufferings, they come before glory. Like if you want glory in this life, being an elder is probably not the place to get into, right? That's what Peter says. Hey, there is suffering, there is pain that is coming. But you know what? That pain will ultimately be turned to joy. Great reminder. Sufferings are par for the course. And sufferings are not par for the course only for the elders. They're par for the course for all believers. Everyone who desires to live godly will have a wonderful life now. Is that what it says? No, it's not what it says. No, you will have struggles. You will, because you live in a broken world. An example that he gives is, I watched the Lord Jesus. I watched Him suffer, and then I watched Him rise from the dead. Sufferings come before glory. And if you are in Christ, even if you are suffering right now, He says, let me tell you a promise that you glory awaits you. You will be in the presence, in His presence. And that's, we're going to get to that in verse 4. Now having identified himself with his fellow elders, Peter gives this mandate. And here is the mandate for the leaders of the church. It comes in verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. After Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus met him in John 21, right? He restored him to ministry, and three times, Jesus said to him, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. This was Peter's commission. This is what he was doing, and that's what he's doing in this book. He's shepherding the flock by giving them instruction. And now he says, I want to address your local pastors. And I want to tell them that their job description is right here. Shepherd the flock of God. So we might say, what is the responsibility of an elder? What is the responsibility of a church leader? We can summarize it in many different ways. But in his book, The uh, the Ministry as a Shepherd, Charles Jeffers, he gives this beautiful description of a shepherd that perfectly applies to the responsibility of an elder in the church. 
We can take the responsibility of elders, of pastors, of leaders in the church, and we can summarize them under seven headings. If you're taking notes, you can take them down. First one is this, shepherd watches the sheep. Shepherd watches the sheep. Shepherd must always be on the alert. Notice he's watching over the sheep. He's scanning the horizon for possible dangers. That's why Peter says right here, your job as an elder is to exercise oversight. You're supposed to watch over the flock. As we read in Acts chapter 20, he says, be on guard for yourself and for all the flock. To be on guard is to watch. To be on guard is to stand there and to see what is coming your way. To see where your sheep are going. That is your job. Remember the author of Hebrews? In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give account. Notice the relationship there. He says that in the church, elders, their job is to keep watch over your soul. That does not mean that elders micromanage every decision that you make. But ultimately, when it comes to your spiritual standing, when it comes to your spiritual health, God appoints leaders in the church so that they would know you, so that they would be able to invest into your life, so that they could watch over your soul. And when they see that you're going astray, somebody can come alongside of you and bring you back. That is their responsibility. They watch over your soul. So what do shepherds do? Shepherds watch the sheep. Not only that, shepherds guard the sheep. Notice watching, it does not mean that you're just simply sitting there watching. Right? If somebody's coming to snatch them away and they're just standing there watching. No, it's not their job. If you, if you were an ancient shepherd, and oh, the, the, this whole picture, this picture of a shepherd, it was so familiar to the first century believers. They understood that. They lived in that culture. Many of them perhaps were shepherds. They understood how this works. And he says the shepherd, he watches the sheep. But why does he watch them? He watches in order to protect them, in order to guard them. What is the job of an elder? What is the job of a church leader? He says, as a shepherd, he's supposed to shield the sheep from the danger. He's supposed to shoot the wolves. Because later on, remember in Acts chapter 20, in the same chapter, in Acts chapter 20, Paul says, even among yourselves, men will arise who will draw people after them. And so elders had to be on the alert. They have to watch for danger. In the ancient times, when the shepherd would bring their sheep into the fold at night, they would bring them in and they would sleep there by the door. So that nobody would walk in and nobody would walk out. Because that was their job. It was their job to guard. That was their function. Now we don't do that by just telling people, you know what, you just got to get up and move to Idaho and you know, move into some commune because it's going to be safe for you there. That's not how you do it. Shepherds, they're doing that by leading, by pointing people to the truth, by equipping people with the truth, so that they would be able to see the dangers that are coming their way. Not only that, shepherds guides, shepherd guides the sheep. Now you notice that sheep do not find their own way as a picture of a shepherd. They have a shepherd who goes and who walks in front of them, and the sheep follow. Remember this picture that Jesus gives in John chapter 10? That chapter where he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What does that mean? The good shepherd, that's what he does. He sees danger. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. When he says that they follow me, it means that he's going in front of them and he's leading them and they're following him. 
So when it comes to leadership, they say like, if you're leading and no one is following, then you're not leading, you're just taking a walk. Right? Here Jesus says, I am a shepherd who's walking in front of the sheep, and my sheep, they know me, they follow me. Notice, shepherd does not drive the sheep. Shepherd walks in front of the sheep, and they follow his example. They follow his lead. Why? In this case, he says, because they know my voice. Shepherds model for the flock. Shepherds shepherds teach and train the flock, and the flock follows after them. Number four, shepherd heals the sheep. Notice, it was the responsibility of a shepherd to take care of the physical well-being of the sheep. So if you have a sheep that caught it into, you know, bushes or whatever else, either picked up a disease or has some kind of a sore, shepherd doesn't just dump her on the side of the road and says, hey, let's move on. No, it was his job to pick her up, to bring her home. Remember, Jesus talked about it, one got lost somewhere. And the shepherd loves the sheep and he goes and he picks her up and brings her. See, this is so applicable to our situation here when it comes to the church because church is not a gathering of perfect people. You probably noticed that, right? If you think you're perfect, don't come here. Right? Because it's it's a gathering of broken people. It's a gathering of hurting people. It's a gathering of struggling people. And so you will need somebody to come alongside of you to bind your wounds, to come alongside of you and minister to you, to care for you, to love you, to heal you. Remember in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives this whole list of the sufferings that he endured as a missionary. Sufferings that he endured for the sake of Christ. And then he adds this, Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Literally my anxiety. Notice he says, as a pastor, I'm worried about my flock. I'm worried about my sheep. When someone is going astray, I don't say like, well, that's okay, you know, just one, I got 99 others. No, there's concern because that's what he does, he goes after. The job of a shepherd is to alleviate the pain of those who were hurt. Number five, this is related to the previous one, that shepherd rescues the sheep. The parable that I mentioned earlier about 99 sheep, he brought them to safety. At night, perhaps. And one was lost. And the heart of a shepherd is not to be satisfied with the 99 that are in. But the heart of a shepherd is to go after the one that is lost. Now notice, applicable to a local church, that the shepherd, he knew exactly how many sheep he had. It wasn't that like, I I, kind of have somewhere around 100, plus, minus few. No, he knew exactly how many he had. And when he took count, he realized that one was missing. And when one was missing, he went after it to bring it back, to rescue it, and to rejoice over it. See, this was the heart of Jesus. All throughout his ministry, when he says, I am a good shepherd, that's why he's a good shepherd. You read Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, he says, Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Why? Because they were distressed and dispirited, like sheep without a shepherd. You see, they did not have someone who would take care of them. He would not, did not have somebody who would bring them in. They did not have somebody who would bind their wounds. That's why Jesus defined his mission. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. People who are out there, people who are lost. And he says, the shepherd goes after the lost. Number six, shepherd feeds the sheep. 
This is perhaps the most obvious one. Sheep will not find food on their own. It is the responsibility of the shepherd to feed the flock, to bring them to pasture. Now the idea of a shepherd, this is not just a New Testament idea that Jesus came up with. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament, just like we had elders in the nation of Israel. We had shepherds in the nation of Israel. In the book of Ezekiel, listen to this. This is how God rebuked shepherds of Israel. He said, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? It's their job. It's their responsibility. That's why you're there for. You're there to feed the sheep. That's what you're supposed to do. And instead of taking care of the people that they were supposed to lead, they were accumulating stuff for themselves. They were feeding themselves and were fat. Now we began the service by reading Psalm 23. Many of you have memorized the psalm, right? The Lord is what? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the one who leads me. And what does He do as His shepherd? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why not? Because I'm satisfied. Because I'm not hungry. Because the Lord has led me to the pasture and the Lord has provided stuff for me so that I'm satisfied. In verse 2, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet water. What does a shepherd do? Shepherd leads and shepherd feeds. And so in this case, he says, The Lord is my shepherd because He brings me to food. In verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is the job of a shepherd. Now when it comes to elders, when it comes to pastors in the church, their job is to feed the flock. And when we're talking about feeding, we're not talking about that we're going to have a potluck every Sunday here, right? No. How do they feed? We're talking about elders are supposed to teach you the Word. How are you going to grow? You're going to grow spiritually by feeding on the Word of God. That's why you can't be an elder if you can't teach. That's one of the qualifications. Because if you can't teach, you can't feed people. If you can't feed them, you can't fulfill the role of a shepherd. And therefore, he says, elders are supposed to teach. That is their job. That is their responsibility. That's why we have so much emphasis on teaching. That's why we teach on Sunday. That's why we teach on Wednesday when we gather together. Once we have our Bible studies, we're going to teach there. Once we have our classes, we're going to teach there. Why? Because that is our job. That is our responsibility because the Lord calls people, the Lord gifts people so that they can open this word to you and be like, okay, I get it. Why? Not so that you become super smart and that you have a lot of information in your head, but so that you can take that knowledge and apply it to your walk. That's what they do. That's the job. That is the responsibility. And finally, number seven, which perhaps summarizes them all, that shepherd loves the sheep. Shepherd loves the sheep. Now listen to this contrast that Jesus makes. In that chapter where He says, I am the good shepherd. Listen to this. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired man and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and does what? And leaves. The sheep flees. Leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatch them and scatter them. He flees because he is hired hand and not concerned for the sheep. Notice the quality that Jesus highlights here is shepherd's love for the sheep. Listen, you might say, hey, you know what? I can do some of these things. I can be in the church and you know what? I can teach. I can fulfill this responsibility and that. But you know what? I don't like the sheep. I don't love people. 
then this is not job for you. Because as Jesus describes here, you're supposed to love the sheep. Because you are only going to fulfill these functions if you love the sheep. True shepherd has a relationship with the sheep. Notice he says he calls his own sheep by name. This is not just something that, you know what, pastors and elders, they just live their own life seven days a week, and on Sunday they come for an hour and a half, they dump a bunch of information on you, and then they walk away till next Sunday. No, that's not a description here. It's a relationship. He knows his sheep by name. And unless you love, and unless you care for the sheep, you will not go in the middle of the night trying to rescue one. You will not invest your time, your energy, in order to help them. Notice how high of a calling this is. And so all of this is implied in this one command when Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God. This is a high calling and not everyone is called into this ministry. That's what shepherding looks like. And you know what? Not one of us does this perfectly. I don't think anyone who's actually studied this be like, man, check this box, check this box, I'm good at all this. No, because every single one of us has areas in which we are to grow, in which we are to mature. Why? Because elders, these are not just perfect men that God put upstairs, I follow this guy. No, these are sheep. And they have their struggles, and they have their sin, and they, have, they need the gospel as much as you do, right? But these guys are a few steps ahead of the flock, so they're like, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. That is what they do. It's a high calling. It's a difficult calling. But God does call people to this job. God gives this responsibility to some men in the church. Now notice, where the shepherds shepherd. He says here, shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight. That's why we emphasize so much a local church. Because elders, they don't have responsibility over all the sheep. I said this before, Tony and I are not responsible for all believers in Folsom. We're not. So if someone is straying away, Lord willing, if we have opportunity, we can go after that person. But ultimately, we're not responsible for that person because that person is under someone else's charge and they're supposed to exercise authority over that person, right? But he says, shepherd the flock among you. So people who commit to this local body, there is a mutual relationship. He says, hey, we're going to follow you. We're going to submit to you. And the elder says, hey, we're going to shepherd you. We're going to care for you. We're going to love you. We're going to do these things for you. That is their responsibilities. That's why... Elders are responsible for their local churches. That is the distinction between an elder and an apostle. When an apostle writes a letter, he can write to any church and tell them, like, that says the Lord, boom, you're in. You got to do it. Elders don't have that authority. Elders have authority right here. So if we make some decision in Folsom Church, this does not apply to Disciples Church or to some other church. It doesn't. Because we shepherd the flock right here among us. And notice that shepherds, they shepherd not their sheep, they shepherd the flock of God. These are not my sheep. These are not Tony's sheep. These are not pastor's sheep. No, this is the flock of God. And notice later on, he says, these have been allotted to your charge. You're just a manager. Just like an ancient shepherd, he would, it, these were not his sheep. People would bring, they would allow him to shepherd their sheep, and that was his job. And so he was responsible to people who gave him those sheep, right? And in this case where he says, listen, you are shepherding the flock of God. These are God's sheep. You can't abuse them, you can't misuse them, you can't abuse your authority over them. Why? Because they're not yours, you're a steward. 
You have been given authority, temporary authority, and you've been given stewardship of these people. And you're going to have to give an account of how well you stewarded the opportunity that he has given to you. So elders have responsibility, not over all sheep, but over those sheep who are given to them. So here's the mandate. Let's summarize that. What is the mandate to the church leaders? You are to shepherd the flock as you exercise authority. Yes, you do have authority. Yes, you're supposed to exercise that authority. Because if you do not exercise that authority, then you fail in your responsibility. If you fail in your responsibility, you're going to have to give account, not only to the church, but to Jesus Himself. Right? You are to shepherd the flock as you exercise authority. Now you might say, well, how are you supposed to do that? Well, I'm glad you asked, because Peter answers that. Look second at the mode of shepherding. The mode of shepherding describes the way in which the shepherds are to shepherd the flock. Now Peter proceeds, and if you look at the verse 2, the second part of verse 2 and 3, he gives three pairs of characteristics that describe biblical shepherding. This is how you describe shepherding. This is what biblical shepherding looks like. Now in these three pairs, there are three negatives, and then the three positives. So he tells them that this is what you ought not to do, and this is what you ought to do. Let's look at the first pair. Verse 2 says, You are to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. And then he adds this, Not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Now in 1 Timothy 3, where Paul outlines the qualifications for elders, he begins the list in this way. He says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Now before giving any of the qualifications for the man, the first thing he says, Hey, does this man aspire to the office of an overseer? There's a desire. There's aspiration that, yes, I want to be in this office and I want to do this work. Now, people choose careers for different reasons, right? Some people choose because of money, maybe prestige, maybe they have special abilities or some interests. Maybe some parents choose careers for their children. But in this case, Peter says that, and Paul says, the New Testament says that no one should be forced into an office of a shepherd. No one should be forced in that. Now, if you live in America and you're between ages of 18 and 26, you're, and you're male, at least now, you're supposed to register for the draft. Right? Now, if the need arises and they call you to serve, you don't have an option to say, sorry guys, I don't think I want to do this. No. You're drafted. You take it and you go there. There is no draft for an office of an elder. No, it's all voluntary basis. And that's where it starts. If anyone aspires to this office, it is a good work he desires to do. Now, there's a whole list after that. Because just because you aspire to that office, it does not mean that you should be in that office. Right? Because he says you have aspiration, and then you have to match all these qualifications, so then we can put you in that office. But it does start first with aspiration. Why? Because if you don't have aspiration, you will not do work. You know, some people go and they become like doctors or accountants or whatever, CPAs because of the money. And then they dread the work that they do. And when you dread the work that you do, you will never go an extra mile. You will never invest 100%. You won't do that. That's why when it comes to this work, he says, you have to have a desire. You have to have aspiration. If you don't have desire, 
If you are coerced into this job, you will not watch, you will not guard, you will not guide, you will not heal, you will not rescue, you will not feed, you will not love the sheep. Because you were coerced into that and pushed into that work. You will not be invested in this work as someone else who actually does it voluntarily. No, Peter says, listen, you are to do this not under compulsion, but you are to do this voluntarily, according to the will of God. Now he has that, it's an interesting phrase to add here, because he says, even God does not call every single person to be in that role. No, it's according to the will of God, because the giftedness that God gives to believers, it is according to His will. So He equips you, He gives you, and He gives you that ministry to fulfill. So it's not for everybody, it is for those whom God appoints in that role. And those whom God appoints, God will give desire to. In other words, if God wants you to be in that position, He will give you a desire to do the work that involves. Because you see, it's not just an aspiration for a position. It is an aspiration for work that is required to do. You see, when you appoint elders, and as we add elders to the board, it's not like, hey, let's pick somebody who's going to do the work. No, that's not how it works. First of all, that person ought to do the work so that then the church recognizes, yeah, this person is already doing that. So we ought to recognize him. It is someone who is gifted by God, is someone who has a desire from God, and this person will do the work that God assigns to him. So first, you are not to do it under compulsion, but you are to do it voluntarily. Look at the second pair. He says, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. He says, the second pitfall to watch for is greed. If you have ESV, ESV says, shameful gain. He says, do not go into ministry. Do not become an elder or pastor because you desire to acquire money, prestige, power, influence, or any of those. And most often, this idea of sordid gain, it is associated with money. Now today we think like, Man, nobody would go into pastoral work for money because there isn't money there. But you read all the warnings of the New Testament and very often you have positions of authority. They're always accompanied by warnings not to be greedy. Why is that? Because it was a lucrative position. Because people would take care of you. People would provide for you. And Bible commands them to do that. So it was a lucrative position. It was a position where one could abuse that. And if one does not guard his heart, it is a place where he can have this heart for sordid gain. And so Peter warns and he says, listen, you don't go into ministry because of what you're going to get out of it. In fact, one of the qualifications that Paul lists in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where he says, An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. Listen, you are not in ministry to enrich yourself. That's not what you're in ministry. You are in ministry not to get, but to give. Yes, church ought to provide for pastors. Church ought to pay them so that they can actually do the work that God has called them to do. But this is not a place where you get rich. And that's what he's warning against. In fact, all throughout the New Testament and the Old, everywhere, you see that false teachers are always driven by greed. St. Peter, 
And his second letter, chapter 1, says, But false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now you can see a bunch of people like that on TV, who in their greed, they will tell you things that you like to hear. God has a wonderful plan for your lives. Just send me a check. Right? In their greed, they will not do this. Because you see, the job of a shepherd is not necessarily to be liked. The job of a shepherd is to care for the sheep. And sometimes you will have to say things that sheep don't like. But what if you're afraid that they stop paying you? You're not going to say it. You see, when he says that if you are a greedy man, then you will filter everything, all of your responsibility through that. If you're a greedy man that, oh, I should take care of that person because that person is rich. That, I can't get nothing out of that. Notice, there are so many ways that this affects people. And so you cannot have a heart for greed. Someone who says, I just want to get rich. I just want to become popular. I just want to be influential. And so you will tailor your message. You will tailor the people that you serve because you don't have a heart like this. That's why this warning is here. And that's why Peter warns these churches. Peter warns these readers. He says, listen, be careful who you put in that position. And he says, if you are in that position, check your heart. What are you in ministry for? Are you there to enrich yourself? To get more influence, more power, more money, more popularity? Or are you there to do the work of a shepherd that I just described? Instead of greediness, he says, you are to serve with eagerness. Eagerness. Eagerly desire to fulfill the mandate that the Lord has put upon you. Serve freely without ulterior motives. Your heart is pure. You just want to fulfill the ministry that the Lord has given to you. You know, Apostle Paul, he could say things like, listen, I coveted no one's stuff. Covet, it's one of the commandments that deals with your heart. And he says, I coveted no one's stuff. He's able to write that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 15, he says, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. A greedy elder works because he gets paid. A loving shepherd works because he loves sheep. That's the distinction that he makes. And so he says that as a church, you ought to know that. You ought to know that so that you don't have those people and so that you're not under that kind of shepherding. So that the shepherds that are there, they're doing it from their heart because they love sheep. Finally, Peter says, nor yet as Lord in it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Do not lord over your people because you're not their Lord. You're their servant. You see, if you are in the position of leadership, it does not mean that somehow you are above the people and you have all the rights and all the authority to command them to do whatever it is that you want them to do. No, biblical elders or biblically qualified elders or those who exercise their authority according to the scripture, they do have power. They do have authority because God gives that authority to them. But because we are sinners... All of us are sinners, including those who are elders. There is temptation to misuse your power and authority. 
I mean, you've heard it said that power corrupts, right? And absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's why there is never supposed to be one man who has all the power in the church. Why do you have plurality? Why do you have multiple people in the church? So you don't have this one guy who runs the whole show and everybody submits to him and everybody does what he says and no one can cross him. That's not a biblical model. Only Jesus could do that. He's the supreme ruler, right? He's the chief shepherd, as we'll see. But in the church, in the local church, he says, there ought to be plurality of men. And notice that even the authority of Scripture, it is a limited authority. I mean, every authority in this world right now is limited. Government has limited authority. There are only certain things that they can tell you to do, and others they're not. Parents have limited authority over the children, right? Pastors in the church have limited authority. And their authority is right here within the margins of the Bible. If they can't point you to the verse and the chapter, they don't have that authority. They have spiritual authority. And you know about a lot of abuse cases, right? I'm not just talking about physical abuse. Spiritual, in this case, lording it over people. That's why it's so important that you test the character of the men who are in those positions before you give them that authority to exercise. Just like in any realm. You take the government. That's why, like, at least in our society, you have elections, so that you have a period of time to kind of evaluate the candidate before you give him the power to exercise. And if you give him that power without actually checking him out, and then he begins to exercise his power, everybody suffers from that. This is exactly the same way in the church. You ought to be careful that you put men, right men in that position so that they do not abuse their authority. Now, what does it mean to lord over someone? Now, I don't think I need to give you many examples because you have plenty. Perhaps you've been in churches where that has happened or you know of others who experienced it. But as I said, elders have limited authority. But there is temptation to abuse even that limited authority. Just to give you an example, Third John 9 says, I wrote something to the church by Diatrophus, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. Just think about this. John, he's writing this, he's an old man, he's writing this in the 90s. And he says, I wrote something to the church. John, Apostle John, who has responsibility, who has authority over the church. I wrote something to the church, but there's this guy there, who loves to be first among them does not accept what we say. And he says, For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and is not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so, and puts them out of the church. Here's a guy who exercises complete authority in the church. You can't listen to that guy, you can't go there. Oh, you want to cross me? You're out of here. That's what happens here. Domineer without the authority that is given to you. Now very often when you have people who exercise or who domineer or people who lord over the flock, very often it comes with intimidation, it comes with manipulation, and this turns off a lot of people, if you will. Because a lot of people say, I don't want to be in the church, I don't want to be a member of a church because I've experienced such and such. But just like if you grew up in an abusive home where the father abused his authority. It does not mean that we got to throw out the whole institution of father and mother and the family and say, okay, there's no authority like that anymore. You don't do that. 
Just because you've experienced something horrible, it does not mean that it's not in the Bible. Yes, someone abused it, and that's why there are warnings. And because when sinful men abuse this authority, you will have cases like that. But it is still biblical for elders to lead. Notice, leadership is not equivalent to lordship. Because you can lead properly. When you're a leader, you are a servant leader. You're not a lord. See, during Jesus' ministry, you know, His disciples, they struggled with this. Remember how many times they argued which one of them is the greatest? number of times. And on one such occasion, Jesus says, in Matthew 20, 25, He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Chief shepherd, he says he serves the flock. He ministers to them. He lays down his life for them. He's a slave. So when we're talking about biblical shepherding, you have leaders who serve the flock. Notice you cannot lord over people because they're not your people. They have been allotted to your chart. This is the flock of God. You cannot, they don't belong to you. Just like you can say to the husband who say mistreating or abusing his wife, you can say the same, you can say like, listen, you are mistreating and abusing God's daughter. How do you think God's going to take that? Rightly? No. And in the same way you can say to the shepherd, if you are abusing the sheep, you are abusing God's sheep. It's His flock. You've been just appointed as a temporary steward to care for them, to feed them, to provide for them. You have no right. They're not your sheep. You're not their Lord. They have Lord already. His name is Jesus. It's not you. So He says, not lording it over the flock. But instead, instead you are to prove to be examples to the flock. Literally, it says, becoming examples to the flock. You see, when you lord, you drive. When you lead, you model, and you go in front of people, and you provide an example for them. Notice, this will require time. This will require hard work. Because shepherds, as I said, they're also sheep, right? Because they're, they're in the same flock. They're grown. They need to be matured. But just that they're a few steps ahead. And they're saying, guys, as much as I follow Christ, you follow me. And that's the idea all the way throughout New, all throughout New Testament. He says, you have Jesus Christ who's leading you. And He's using flawed man to lead you. And that's why you have, things, you have verses like this, Philippians 3.17. Paul says, brethren, join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Notice Paul does not say, hey, listen guys, I told you, so do it. Even though he has that authority to do it. But Paul says, look at my life. Look at my example. And observe how I walk and you follow me. To Corinthians, he said, therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. In chapter 11, he repeats that and he adds, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Notice, don't copy everything that I do. But to the degree that I imitate Christ, you imitate me. 
And that's what he's saying. That's what shepherds are supposed to do. Shepherds are supposed to be models. Models of where we want to go, where we want to lead, how we want to teach, what we want to believe. That's what he's saying. That's what we have to do. Now you might say, listen, I don't need anybody. I got Jesus. Because there are those spiritual people. Like, I don't need a pastor. I don't... I had, no, look at, the, look at the model of the New Testament. In the New Testament, you have men who lead and others who follow. Paul wrote to Timothy, who was pastor in Ephesus. He was a young man. And he writes to him, he says, chapter 4, verse 12, Let no one look down on your youthfulness. So notice, to be an elder has nothing to do with your age. Timothy was a young man. He says, but rather, in speech, conduct, Love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example to those who believe. That is your job. Timothy, you are to model to the church what God wants them to do and what God wants them to be. Listen, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about direction. Elders and leaders, they're not perfect. And they need the gospel, as I said, as much as we all do. So what is their mandate? It is to shepherd by providing oversight. How do they do it? They do it voluntarily, not under compulsion. They do it eagerly, not motivated by greed. And they do it by providing an example to the flock and not lording over them. Finally, look at the motive for shepherding. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter alluded to this earlier when he said that he's a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Now, future glory is a motivation for present ministry. It's not wrong to be motivated by reward. That's what he's doing here. He says, there's future glory that awaits you. So prove to be faithful in the ministry that God has given to you. I mean, even Jesus was motivated by that. Remember the book of Hebrews? Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. And He sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus was looking to the future and the result of His work. And He says, for the joy set before Him, He was willing to go through sufferings, which He alluded to earlier. Now notice how Peter describes Jesus. He says, and when the... Who? Chief shepherd. Literally, senior pastor. Listen, church has only one senior pastor. His name is Jesus. When the chief shepherd appears, every single elder serves under the senior pastor, which is Jesus Christ. That's why he says we are all under shepherds. We have one shepherd who guides and who leads the flock, and everyone else is under shepherd, serving under the authority of the chief shepherd. That's why there isn't this Lord over the church who has absolute right. and absolute, I mean, We don't have a pope. It's not biblical. We have one senior pastor. We have one chief shepherd. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 25, of the same letter, Peter said this, For we were continually strained like sheep, but now we have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. And just think about this. Church, ultimately, belongs to who? To Christ. 
Christ is the head of the church. We studied Ephesians chapter 5 not too long ago. And we looked at all of the things that Christ does for the church. Now Christ does that through the ministry of the people. And one of the ways Christ ministers to the church and Christ shepherds the church is by appointing leaders who would shepherd the flock. But ultimately, when we're talking about salvation, as Peter puts it here, he says, you were sheep who were lost. You were strangers away. You were lost in a dark world. And shepherd left the flock. Shepherd left the glory of heaven. Shepherd came down, lived a perfect life on your behalf. Then he went to the cross, and as he said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus himself is that shepherd who laid down his life for you when he died on the cross. Three days later, he walked out of that tomb, defeating death. And by his death, he provided a way for you to be saved. That's why when he saves you, when he redeems you, when he forgives you, it's because of his work on the cross. Because he laid down his life for the sheep. And he redeems you. He calls you. He regenerates you. He brings you into the local body. He appoints leaders in the church. And through the ministry of those leaders, when they fulfill their responsibility, their God-given responsibility, it is Jesus himself who ministers to you. That's the whole point. When we're talking about spiritual gifts in the church, it doesn't matter what ministry you have. It doesn't matter what gifts you have. Because ultimately, it is the grace of God. It is Jesus himself ministering to the body. It's not what I can do. It's not what you can do. It's what Jesus can do through you. That's why ultimately glory doesn't go to me or it doesn't go to you or anyone else. Glory goes to Jesus because Jesus cares for the church. Because Jesus shepherds the church. He is the senior pastor. Everyone else serves at His pleasure. Everyone else serves under Him and everyone else is under His authority. Notice when Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears. What is that? Second coming. When the shepherd shows up, and he's coming back, and he's coming back, and he says, and you are going to stand before him. And the shepherd, in this case speaking to the elders, he says he has a reward for you. has an unfading crown of glory. This was a familiar picture for first century. You would go to any games, right? And the winner would have a wreath placed on his head. And within hours... Right? That wreath would fade. Peter says, when the chief shepherd rewards you as his under-shepherd, you will get an unfading crown of glory. Take it two ways. Either it's a glorious crown, or it's a crown which is glory. And either way, the reward will be great. And notice he's encouraging the elders. He's encouraging the pastors. And he says, yes, the work is hard. But you, won't, you know what? The reward is great. Now this should encourage every single person in ministry, whether you're elder or not, because ultimately you serve at the pleasure of the chief shepherd. And the chief shepherd appoints and gives responsibility, gives giftedness, and gives ministry to you. And he says, you ought to live your life in light of that day when the chief shepherd will show up. When Paul wrote to Timothy, his final letter, In the final chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, He's going to go on and say, preach the word. Notice he front loads this by saying, by the way, just, just before I tell you what you ought to do, just remember that one day you're going to stand in the presence of God, 
and in the presence of Christ Jesus, and God Himself and Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, which means He's a judge of you. He's going to judge you. And you are going to have to give an account to Him of how well you performed the ministry that He has assigned to you. Other than that, go ahead and preach the word. (laughs) That's what He says. You are going to stand before Him, and He's going to be chief shepherd. In light of this judgment, because this judgment will determine the reward that you will get. And that judgment, you will not be condemned to hell because it's a bema seed judgment. It's a reward judgment. How well you perform the ministry that He has assigned to you, you'll be rewarded for that. But Timothy, and elders, as Peter says here, exercise the authority that God has given to you according to the mode that He has prescribed to you so that you will not shrink away in shame when He shows up. Now you listen to all this, and you say, well, listen, um, I'm not an elder. What's in this for me? Well, a couple things. First, some of you men may one day be elders. I say men because women can be elders. The Lord might call you to this ministry, and if He does, this will directly apply to you. And second, just because you're not an elder... There is an application of this to every single person. Because you might read, say, qualifications of elders. And say, this man should be this, that, and that. And you say, oh, that's for elders. That doesn't, doesn't apply to me. But you know what? You can find all of those commands to all Christians everywhere in the church. You are commanded. It's like, an elder ought to be a good manager of his home. Does that mean that if you're not an elder, you don't have to be a good manager of your home? No, it doesn't mean that. So there is an application of this. So if you are in position of a parent and you're abusing your authority, you're going to have to give an account to Jesus one day. You will. So there is application by way of principle to every single one of us here. Third, the reason why we want to stress this and the reason why we want to preach this is because we want you to constantly pray for the men in this church who are in that position. Listen, you read this, and some of you might say, well, listen, I'm glad I'm not an elder. I mean, having read all that and having understood all, the, all that I have to do, well, thank Jesus, I'm not it. But the Lord has called some of us. The Lord has put men in this position. And it is, the, it is our goal, it is our desire that you would pray for Tony, you would pray for myself, you would pray for others, that we would actually meet these qualifications. See, we want to preach this to you so that you know what you ought to expect from your leaders. You know what they are supposed to do. You know what their job responsibility is. That's why we're preaching this, so that you understand. And we're preaching this so that you would pray, pray daily, and every time you remember that the Lord would prevent us from doing things that would disqualify us from this position. Right? Because if you disqualify the elders, you bring a reproach on Christ, you bring a reproach on the church. So we want you to know this and we're asking so that you would pray for our faithfulness. Now pray for others. Pray for others that the Lord would raise these men even in our midst. Because all the ministries that we have, like say Saturday training, why do we do that? Just because we don't want to sleep on Saturday, sleep in on Saturday morning, just want to get together? No, why are we doing that? Why? Because the Lord might call some from among that group into this work. Because how is ministry going to, going to progress? How is this church going to be built? Because men will step up and do the work. And maybe they will not become elders or deacons. But you know what? If men will just go home and lead their wives and lead their children, our job will be well done. 
Why do elders exist in the church? They're not there to do all the work. Right? God appointed elders in the church to equip the saints for the work of service. Don't think that, you know, just because you have one or two pastors that they're going to do all the work and we're just going to show up on Sunday and enjoy it. No, the job of elders is to equip the saints so that saints would do the work. And that's why we're ministering. That's why we're working. That's why we're teaching. So that the, some, that the Lord would raise men. The Lord would raise women for the positions that Scripture defines for them. And so that all of us would be able to minister to the needs of one another. Ultimately, this is a body. And in the body, you don't have you know, one member who is supreme to all. No, this is work. It's a mutual work. So if we take this, what I said today, and we combine it with what we said with the responsibility of members. Members have their work cut out for them. Elders have their work cut out for them. And so when everybody ministers, when everyone serves, that's when the body grows. That's where Christ is exalted. And that's how Christ will grow this body. And the ministry of this church will spread far and wide. Because the Lord will be glorified if we all do what He calls us to do. May God help us. Let's pray. Lord, this is intimidating. This work is difficult, Lord, and I just want to pray, Lord, that you would raise godly men in this church. Those of us who are in this position, that we would truly, Lord, lead as you led. That we would be servants who would love, take care of the flock. Lord, I pray that you as a chief shepherd would lead us all both elders, regular members, and every single one of us, so that the giftedness that you have given to us, the ministry that you have assigned to us, that we would fulfill to the best of our ability, so that on that day when you come, when you appear, you will say, good and faithful servant, well done. We long to hear that. And we ask that you would enable us to be faithful. In Christ's name, amen.